Good morning. For anyone who may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Emily. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Calvary. I serve as pastor of children and their families. So generally, as the kids are dismissing on Sunday mornings, I'm usually close behind them. Um, but they are in good hands this morning, and it is a joy to bring the message this morning while Pastor Dustin is off traveling this morning. He and his family are in France through the week. So um, we pray a blessing upon them that they enjoy a wonderful family time together as they travel, and then welcome Drew back home after his semester um, in France. So here we are this morning on the third Sunday of Advent. And this morning our Magi, thanks to the Quinn family, lit for us the candle of joy. And if you were paying attention as they were speaking, you heard them talk about how God acted on behalf of all people. And this is a familiar part of the Christmas story for us, isn't it? But I'm wondering if we can think about it with fresh eyes this morning. So here were magi from a foreign land who sought out the Messiah, journeying for an immense distance, probably not really sure of what exactly they were gonna find at the other end of their journey, encountering King Herod, who wanted to use them to find and destroy this baby king, and then discovering that God had taken on human flesh for the sake of all people, not just those who were insiders. These were magi, these were foreigners who were invited to come and worship this Messiah, this King. And hope was found through Jesus. God acted on their behalf. And God continues to act on our behalf and on behalf of the world by offering hope to all people. And we are part of this Christmas story too because we are invited into this same hope that continues to break beyond our preconceived notions. And this is where we're going to go in our passage in Isaiah this morning. For the past two weeks, Pastor Dustin has brought us a word from Isaiah. And throughout this prophetic book, there are these foreshadows and prophecies of Christ. And yet it's important for us to remember that these ancient people wouldn't have known how this story was going to unfold. I have to wonder what they would think of our nativity scenes all set up today. They didn't know exactly how the Messiah would come as a baby, to a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph in a specific time and place, that angels would herald his arrival, that magi would travel from foreign lands to come meet this baby king. So even though they didn't see the full picture, they held on to their hope in God, the hope that God always keeps his promises that God was at work and would redeem all things, that God would allow them to begin again. Hope because God sees, God comforts, and God acts. So we'll be in Isaiah 61 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. There are Bibles on a rack in the back, and you are welcome to get up and grab one or find Isaiah 61 on your Bible app on your phone. 
But while you are turning there, I'd like to go ahead and frame this passage for us in Isaiah. Most scholars have divided the book of Isaiah into three distinguishable sections that are distinct, but they're also interconnected. So the first section is chapters 1 through 39, which is the longest. And throughout those chapters, Isaiah warns of God's judgment. Over and over again, Isaiah calls the people to turn back to God or else judgment was coming. So there's this tension of judgment and human rebellion alongside hope as God uses Isaiah to warn the people and to call them back to God. But the hearts of God's people were hardened. They did not have ears to hear, and it took an exile for them to pay attention. You can hear the frustration in Isaiah's words as he speaks to these people who just refuse to listen. And of course, we know Isaiah's prophecies did come to pass. Jerusalem was attacked by the Assyrians. It was eventually destroyed by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was in ruins. The temple was destroyed. The identity of God's people was in jeopardy. Scores of people were exiled off to Babylon. Really, this was a worst-case scenario for God's people, and Isaiah had warned that it was coming. But there was hope, a promise that God would bring the people back. God had promised there would be a remnant who would return. And that's where chapter 40 picks up with an announcement of hope. And this next section of Isaiah, which includes chapters 40 through 55, and if you remember last week, Pastor Dustin preached from chapter 40, where Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. And the people who would have been hearing that message were those in exile, they had been carried away, but as the story unfolds, we learned that they were now permitted to return to their homeland because Babylon had been conquered by an even bigger giant, Persia. So God's people were still being ruled by a foreign government, but now it was one that allowed them to go home to rebuild and reestablish themselves. So might they dare hope to rebuild what was lost. So throughout these chapters, Isaiah encourages his hearers, return home, leave Babylon, trust God on the journey back to Judea. But again, many of the people did not have ears to hear. They didn't see the ways that God had been working all along. Many of them had lost faith. But again, there was hope. Because God was promising to do a new thing through a servant of God who would be a light to the nations. That sounds familiar to us, right? We know on this side of the story, we see the prophecy was fulfilled through Jesus, the suffering servant who was rejected and died on our behalf, offering righteousness to all people. And that brings us to the third section, of Isaiah, where our passage is found today, chapters 56 through 66, where the prophet announces God's kingdom, 
pointing back to the promises that are made earlier in Isaiah about a new Jerusalem that was coming through which God would bring justice and mercy and forgiveness to all nations who would repent, where all were invited to know God as their creator and redeemer. So as we hear the prophet's words this morning in chapter 61, we need to remember the people first hearing these words had lost everything in exile. They lost their homes, their identities, their livelihoods, and many had also lost their faith and their trust in God. Had God abandoned them? So even though they were reestablishing themselves in their homeland, they still felt exiled in many ways. So as we look at chapter 61 this morning, we hear two different voices. We hear a speaker or a prophet who declares to be a servant of God, filled with God's spirit. And then we hear the voice of God. And then again, the servant of God. So let's walk together through the words of the servant in in verses 1 through 4. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. We're going to pause there for just a moment to think about these verses. And I don't know about you, but I hear a message of hope. This isn't the voice of judgment that we hear so frequently from Isaiah. But this anointed servant is heralding a message of life, of hope, of restoration. Remember, God's people are just freshly back in Judea. The city hadn't yet been rebuilt. There was no temple. And life was precarious. And life remains precarious, doesn't it? Have you been in a situation when it was really hard for you to hold on to hope? I think most of us can probably relate to that, and maybe it even reflects the situation in some of our lives even now. Maybe a relationship gone awry. The death of a loved one a diagnosis, an addiction, a financial crisis, uncertainty, loss, disappointment, depression. And maybe it's left you wondering how you can possibly move forward. Here the prophet is speaking of God's people. They were the poor. They were the brokenhearted who had been in mourning, exiles, how could they carry on? But Isaiah offers hope in a God who acts. 
God is promising here to replace their mourning with joy and their discouragement with praise, and not because of anything that they have done. Remember, their hearts had been hardened. It's because of who God is. God had promised a remnant, and God always keeps his promises. Amen? God is assuring them. He is acting on their behalf. He is offering a new beginning rather than judgment. And verse 4 says the ancient ruins will be rebuilt. This was amazing. Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. God was promising it. There was hope for reconstruction, vitalization for God's people. And what about for us? Of course, we're on the other side of this story, right? And we see the fulfillment of these ancient prophecies, these ancient promises through Jesus, who took on human flesh. Jesus became the one who brought the good news to the poor, healed the sick, freed the oppressed, pronouncing the kingdom of God. So might we remember today that through Jesus, who suffered and died on our behalf so that we might live, God offers us a new beginning. Because God acts, we hold hope in suffering. All throughout Scripture, we see God acting on behalf of the suffering, of those who are oppressed, the vulnerable. In the Old Testament, the biggest example of this is the Exodus, when God brought his people out of Egypt, bringing freedom and liberation after enslavement. And of course, this carries on in the New Testament through the life of Jesus and the early church. We hear this message that God stands in solidarity with the suffering, with the oppressed, those on the margins. God wants to transform humanity from brokenhearted to whole. That is good news for us. And verse 2 here speaks to this solidarity and transformation as it reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This points to the year of Jubilee from the book of Leviticus. Every seven years was to be a Sabbath year. So after seven Sabbath years, so if you're doing your math, after 49 years, the 50th year was to be a year of jubilee. And during this year, debts were to be forgiven. Slaves were to be freed, relationships restored, rest provided for the people and for the land. That sounds pretty wonderful to me, right? So here the prophet is pointing to a transformed community, a different kind of economy where there's no debt, no misuse of power, no oppression, where people aren't taken advantage of, they're not lorded over. Jubilee, transformation from brokenhearted to whole. And I think this is a message for us too that transcends time. It shows us something about God. Because if God is offering salvation and hope for this group of people, what is God offering to us now? Might we hope that God will give us a crown in place of ashes 
oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of discouragement, as verse 3 reads. These descriptions are pointing to the clothing of priests. God's people were to reflect God to the nations. They were to be a nation of priests. And we're being offered the same. Church, we are called to be a priesthood of believers, a transformed community, bearing witness to the God who acts on our behalf, to the God who acts on behalf of all who look to him, offering us hope in the midst of suffering. The lectionary reading has its jumping down to verse 8 at this point, so we're going to pick up here with God speaking. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I think these verses offer us a deeper glimpse into the purposes of God, even helping us to see how God acts. God loves justice. And I think most frequently we think about justice in the context of our modern day setting, right? I don't know about you, but a courtroom comes into my mind with a black robe judge who likely has a scowl on his or her face and a gavel that they're ready to pound. And Maybe that's how you think about God. Waiting to catch you doing something you shouldn't. Or pronouncing judgment. A distant God who pounds the gavel determining eternal life or eternal punishment. But friends, this isn't the picture that I see of a just God here in Isaiah or throughout all of Scripture Scripture reveals to us a God who time and again offers hope and restoration going to extreme lengths to draw all people to God's self, even exile. A God of new beginnings. And of course, it's true, God is holy. God does not condone or overlook sin, but God's purposes are always redemptive, always fair, and just and faithful to God's covenant relationship. So what if we thought about the word justice as meaning as it should be? Because I think that's what God's kingdom is all about, and I think that's part of what Isaiah is showing us here, that God's kingdom is a restoration of all things as they should be, flourishing, instead of scarcity, peace instead of violence, kindness instead of cruelty, grace instead of hard hearts, mercy instead of revenge, freedom instead of oppression, love instead of hate, jubilee instead of bondage and debt. Where do you see these things in our world today? Where do you see signs of God's kingdom breaking through, bringing justice, 
restoring things as they should be. I don't know exactly how the original people reading the saw signs of God's kingdom, of God's justice, but here God is promising them an enduring covenant. We read that in verse 8. God is a covenant God who keeps his commitments. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God had promised them land and offspring and blessings. And these covenant promises now extended beyond them to God's people, even now during Isaiah's time. These powerless and defeated people, these exiles, they were now the object of God's unconditional commitment. They were the beloved and the blessed of God because God was restoring all things as they should be. Through Jesus, God offers us unconditional commitment too. We are God's beloved. Do you believe that this morning? Because God acts, we hold hope for restoration. Let's pick up in our text with verse 10, with the servant again, speaking these words. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. This transformation that God is bestowing upon his people isn't for their benefit alone. Yes, there were going to be benefits for God's people. Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt, right? But the prophet is also speaking here of God's mercy and justice and blessings flowing out to all nations, to the others, to the outcasts. All are invited to know this creator, this redeemer, this king. We saw this reflected earlier with the magi. They would recognize God because God's people will be reflecting him. We'll be wearing clothes of victory, robes of righteousness, priestly crowns and jewelry like a wedding. These are celebration gar garments, a covenant unity with God. And did you catch the description of a garden in verse 11? The message paraphrase of verse 11 reads, for as the earth bursts with spring wildflowers, and as a garden cascades with blossoms, so the master God brings righteousness into full bloom and puts praise on display before the nations. Those are beautiful words, words of a restored world, a new creation, reminiscent of the garden at the beginning of God's creation, a new Eden where everything is as it should be. Everything is made right. Righteousness and justice sprouting everywhere. This is what our creator, our gardener, God, is nurturing today. A new creation. 
where everything is made right. And this promise of new creation extends to us today. Through Jesus, we are invited to become new creations, both personally and in community together. Because God acts, we hold hope for a new creation, now and someday. So as we look at this ancient text of Isaiah, of course, we're looking at it through the lens from the other side of the story. We know the fulfillment through the Messiah who did usher in this kingdom of justice and mercy. We know the story of the Christ child, God in flesh, who stood in solidarity with humankind, who suffered and died and conquered death for us so that things might be as they should be. And on this side of the story, we can't miss the words of Jesus from Luke 4. Did you know that Jesus quoted this passage from the scroll of Isaiah? Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus went on to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Jesus, the one who came for us, siding with the suffering and the oppressed, bringing salvation to all who might believe in him, pointing back to God's exiled people who were no longer in bondage because new creation comes through the kingdom of God of God. And love and justice and compassion reign in this kingdom where the broken are made whole, the oppressed find liberation, and the marginalized are embraced. God's kingdom is present. It is breaking into our world in our everydayness as we embrace this just way of life that we see described here in Isaiah 61. But of course, it's not yet here in its fullest. There is still brokenness all around us. This already not yet kingdom is breaking into our reality because God became incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, the hope for humankind. The same hope that reached down to God's people in Babylon, the same hope that arrived as a vulnerable baby, the same hope that was revealed to the Magi in the night sky, and the same hope that comes to us even now through Jesus and the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that anointed this servant whose words we just read. Through Jesus, we are invited to be a part of this kingdom. Because God acts, we hold hope that God's kingdom is unfolding in our midst. And it's true, we don't always see the ways that God is bringing wholeness and restoration in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our world. But can we trust 
can we hold hope that God is a promise-keeping God who is at work restoring everything because that's what he's promised, even restoring that which seems impossible. And might God not only be calling us to believe this good news, but be calling us to be bearers of this good news, just like the servant in Isaiah 61. It's good news for us, but it's also good news for others. It's good news for the world that is to be shared. It's a message that God is offering more than just an eternal life someday in heaven. I think sometimes we get caught up in the eternalness of eternal life. But God is offering us salvation. Salvation is wholeness. It's restoration in our here and now life. Bringing healing and liberty, release and comfort. It becomes a reality for us. So during this Advent season, as we are all eagerly anticipating Christmas, are we more wrapped up in the lights and the gifts, all the places that we need to go and all of the celebrating that's to be had? Or are we attentive to the Spirit of God that is at work in us, drawing our attention to the ways that God is acting, bringing hope and suffering, Hope for restoration, hope for a renewed creation, and hope that God's kingdom is indeed unfolding in our midst. Friends, every act of love bears witness to this new reality that God's kingdom continues to break into our reality, our everyday lives, even our brokenness. So will you participate in the reality of God's advent where all things are made new and hope is found in our God who acts on our behalf, breaking our preconceived notions and inviting us to partner in God's redemptive work? This morning, we're going to close service by receiving Holy Communion. At the table, we find grace and sustenance for the journey, and it's an opportunity for us to respond to God's grace because God has acted on our behalf. Let's pray together. Loving God, out of your deep love and compassion, you humbled yourself and became one of us giving light to those living in darkness and in the brokenness of sin. And God, we are humbled by your gift of good news, of great joy to the world. You came in an unexpected way. You lived your life and revealed your kingdom in unexpected ways. And you continue to move in unexpected ways. May our hearts make room for you today room for you to rule and reign with truth and grace. May we put aside our preconceived notions and have eyes to see the ways that you are working on our behalf and on behalf of the world. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. 
And as we come to the table this morning, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood, agents of hope and restoration. May the glories of your righteousness and the wonders of your love truly be good news of great joy for us today and always. Amen.